I think the thing that's going to take Japan sort of into the next level is not fungible tokens on exchange that you're trading, but NFTs. And essentially taking all that content IP that's on shore and wrapping that up into NFT ownership. I think the thing that's going to take Japan sort of into the next level is not fungible tokens on exchange that you're trading, but NFTs. And essentially taking all that content IP that's on shore and wrapping that up into NFT ownership. You have just heard the voice of David Shin, head of the global group at the Clayton Foundation. During this episode of the Exponential Finance Podcast, we have the opportunity to take a deep dive into the Clayton universe and David's perspective on content distribution in a Web3 environment, the concept of proof of me as a decentralized identity, and David's view on how Japan is engaging in this next wave, among other things. So let us dive right in. But I think we overlapped a few years in Tokyo as well, although we didn't meet. Yeah, that's right. I was there uh, in, I think, 03 to 08 for five years. My oldest son was born there, actually. All right. Yeah, so it was uh, good times, but different uh, different Japan these days, right? It looks different, feels different. Does it? Definitely. There aren't as much gaijin. Rapungi's not what it used to be. The other countries around Japan have grown faster, especially around technology and startups. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely losing the Gaijin race, that's for sure. But I'm not sure if they, they're okay with that, especially after Fukushima. You know, I, I know a lot of my Japanese friends, they weren't happy about all the Gaijin running out of there. But I feel like over the last year, things are starting to move a little bit more. I use, the barometer I use is, um, is a barometer with the discussions I'm having with corporates especially gaming companies and other large corporates like Dentsu. And they're actually putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to Web3 these days. So I don't think they would do that based on the conservative nature of how the Japanese corporate culture is, unless they felt like the discussions with the regulators and government was moving in a direction where they can take that risk. Maybe to add an additional flavor to that, there seems to be, at least in some parts, a realization that Always contracting with the Fujitsu or so as your large system integrator just doesn't cut it anymore. So I've seen smaller players who really technically savvy and, and bring the good engineering skills winning some business against these old dinosaurs. And that's a good sign for me as well. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been in Japan two, three times now over the last two months, meeting with a lot of our partners. Um, you know, all the gaming companies in particular, they're all listed and they have some reputational risk, right? And of course, they're regulated because they're listed companies, but they're putting tons of money into Web3 now. So that is a good indicator. Dentsu recently announcing their Web3 division. I think that's a massive indicator. SoftBank making more investments in the space. And then most importantly, my conversation with the Japan regulator. I think the thing that's going to take Japan sort of into the next level is not fungible tokens on exchange that you're trading, but NFTs. And essentially taking all that content IP that's on shore and wrapping that up into NFT ownership and creating distribution channels through the internet, being able to settle that with regulated CBDCs or regulated stablecoins, which is where I think we're moving towards. It's a good hypothesis and I wish it, it comes through. 
the experience also from the last five years, especially kind of with your Kaukau background, right? The biggest comic platform on, on the smartphones in Japan is owned by Kaukau well, these days, right? They've, they've overtaken yeah, Line, <laughs> um, yeah. which, which obviously was also originally Korean. So I think it, it needs to hit the accelerator a bit, right? So maybe three years ago, we would have said, well, they can come along and play with everybody else. But now everybody else moved quite far ahead, at least. I think we're getting into sort of, you know, a specialization phase of technology. I don't think Japan's too late to try and create their own distribution and social networking channels. I think it's pretty clear a combination of the Chinese and Koreans are, are pretty much dominating that. I think what the market is going to now start moving towards is having digital assets that are representative of real world content IP and being able to distribute that through these existing channels, whether, you know, you are creating IP, wrapping that up as an NFT and selling it on OpenSea or some other large marketplace, or whether you are using that IP to create extended business opportunities on Webtoons, for example. Like I've always said to the gaming companies, you're essentially, you've got two businesses here, but you're only focusing on one. And they, they always say to me, what do you mean? I said, well, you're, you're building these gaming titles, which are effectively comic books, but you're not really leveraging the comic book distribution channel. And once you do that, then you can also extend that out to collectibles in terms of NFTs. So there is a re huge sort of more wider opportunity commercially that I don't think the companies are seeing yet. But the, the fact of the matter is it stems, it stems down to who is creating the content IP and are they awake enough to realize that now there are new ways of monetizing that IP? It's that, and plus even the traditional channels, right? I think it was just last week that Nintendo came out with a trailer for like the first Mario Bros. movie, and everybody gets excited. But if you look at how Marvel uh, got commercialized, you think that could have, have happened earlier as well. But if you take now the traditional channels and you finally get to the movie and then combine it with what you just explained, it's even even more powerful. I personally think that what you just described is the first phase of what I would call, you know, the extended distribution of content IP. We've been seeing that for the last 10 years, what extending comic IP and game IP into the movie distribution channel can do in terms of commercialization opportunities. Now, if you take that one step further, and you create digital collectibles, comic books, and even potential games, right? So you could have a comic book turn into a game. It's, it's really about extending that distribution into other channels and creating more commercial opportunities by doing that. So if that is phase one, what is phase two and three then in, in your vision? Internet distribution. Who's watching movies in the theaters anymore? Nobody. Internet distribution through mobile peripherals and creating distribution through mobile applications rather than desktop or console. That's the future. That's the end game. And so clearly with your focus on Japan and having been here for a bit with Slayton, you want to own like some of that infrastructure for sure. We want access to the Japan onshore content IP, which is why I've been there, you know, three times in the last two months. We're doing it not by direct acquisition, but working through our partners. So what we're saying to them is, hey, look, you guys continue to be the specialist in creating this content 
All we want to do is provide you the distribution offshore, whether it's into Korea or other avenues. So for example, Webtoons, actually one of the largest, fastest growing markets for Webtoon users is not in Asia. It's actually in Europe. France is leading that, but other countries like Germany is also the adoption rate for Webtoons is increasing substantially. There's an opportunity to do that, but also reverse distribution inbound where there's Korean content, whether it's K-pop or Korean dramas or whatever, and to be able to create opportunities where we can bring that content onshore into Korea through internet distribution channels, right? Not just Netflix or other, you know, mainstream distribution channels. I'm, I'm actually bearish on Netflix, you know, unless you start compressing the duration of movies, I think they're going to continue to lose people. So having said that, it's really the focus is around user generated content or IP that's already sitting with the Nintendos or the Segas or whatnot. And then leveraging again, existing distribution web three channels or existing distribution web two channels. Like, you know, these days, for instance, you can actually have your NFT as a profile on Twitter and they'll verify that it's a real NFT, right? With the blue check marks. So these are creative examples of how I think we're going to start seeing cross-border distribution between Web 2 and Web 3. But that's really the, the, the commercialization uh, opportunity. I listened to your panel talk at Token 2049. So since we are on NFTs, I kind of found your, your vision interesting on when they become dynamic because, okay, it's a profile picture right now, but when they become the dynamic, there is much more what you can do with them. And how far are we from that? Clearly people are working on this, but for... People are working on this, yes. Mm. I would say we are, you know, if it was baseball, we're at first base, but they're on base uh, and they're moving quickly towards second base. So uh, just imagine a world where your profile, you know, in the example you used, your profile pick, which let's say represents an NFT on chain is then uploaded as your Twitter profile. And let's say that uh, you go and get a haircut today and you pay for it through your wallet. That metadata then feeds through an Oracle into your NFT and your profile picture changes, right? Your haircut won't look exactly like what your haircut looks like in real life, but there will be some sort of change in your hair. These kinds of things are very doable, I think, It also enables us to then be able to have marketplaces that don't have to be on marketplaces, if you know what I mean. So we can really barter, right? Because having this kind of real-time data feed into assets can allow you to have real-time intraday valuations, which means that if I meet you in, let's say, the metaverse somewhere, you have a particular asset that I would love to swap something for, not necessarily buy it from you, but swap it, barter. We can really do this because there's real-time data that's feeding into your asset for me to understand where that sits in the wider market without having it on some exchange or some NFT marketplace. And that becomes quite interesting. But also I think the, the interesting part is um, for things like sports betting as well, if you have NFT representation on athletes, Like LaMelo Ball, who is Rookie of the Year a couple of years ago, launched the very first dynamic NFT asset. And the idea there is as a year, as he's playing all these games throughout the year, if his three-point percentage increases, then the valuation would change. 
or his dynamic NFT would change. If he gets injured, the dynamic NFT, all of that will create new abilities and capabilities for sports betting. Now, throughout human history, marketplaces, and this has not turned out different in crypto so far, right? Marketplaces were always required to aggregate demand and supply and provide sufficient liquidity. If you're now starting to barter, it's still the remaining problem is always how do you find your counterparty? Yeah, and I think this is where, you know, virtual environments become quite interesting, right? I think the metaverse will become one big economy. That's what I see it as. I mean, to me, metaverse is nothing more than a, a virtual wrapper. So you're either wrapping, you're wrapping up, uh, let's say, a, an event like a concert, or you're wrapping up an event like, let's say, a national election. It's nothing more than a virtual wrapper. The key is the virtual wrapper can be open 24-7, 365 days a year. Right. I remember being at Morgan Stanley, the golden egg was to try and achieve 24 by six on the equity markets. And that was very difficult to do, right? Because you're handing over books and, you know, even from a, a, an infrastructure perspective, there's a lot of work in getting to that. But what Bitcoin and crypto has proven is that you can actually now have 24 by seven, 365 days a year markets that are very liquid. And if you extend that for away from a centralized market like Binance or Coinbase into a metaverse, which becomes an open virtual market, I think that becomes quite intriguing. Fantastic environment where we're 24 seven and it's like one market. So far it's always broken down at the national border. <laughs> and so we, what are the mechanisms that we need in the metaverse to actually have this as, as one and, and not again having nation states yeah. in the metaverse? Well, I, you know, in the metaverse, I don't think we're going to be bartering fungible tokens. Like I don't think people are going to barter, hey, I'll swap you my Bitcoin for Ethereum. What I'm talking about are NFTs that represent assets such as uh, intellectual property, It could be, let's say, a, a song that you wrote that you can barter for, let's say, a movie, that a short movie that you created, and we swap IP, essentially. But the problem is, in a private market, how do you create the right valuation and create the right liquidity? That's always been the challenge of the private markets versus public. And this is why dynamic NFTs become so intriguing to me. Because now you bring in the public element through oracles and the integration of all this off-chain data real-time into private markets, which means that you can actually have more transparent ways to barter. Makes sense. Now, the other gap that we had, and we, we built the internet without necessarily thinking about identities clearly because it was intended for a small group initially, but it feels like we're stumbling now into... The, the next generation Web3 metaverse, and we still haven't figured out really a, a digital ID. And so who's going to crack that nut? I don't like the idea of creating some sort of singular ID that ties you to a particular application or wallet per se, or user ID. Kind of like, you know, I, I don't like the, the Google or Facebook way of logging in as a single sign-on because you're essentially trusting your uh, to Google or Facebook. And we've seen what happens with hacks. Uh, we've seen what, what happens with catfishing, burner accounts, all that stuff. What I prefer is the concept of proof of me, where the blockchain validates you, that you have worked at such and such a place. 
take the, the notion of LinkedIn. All I can do is because Jason introduced us is assume through Jason, because I trust him that you are who you are. But what if there is a way for there to be a decentralized way for, for, for me to know that you've been verified and validated without it being Twitter validating you as a central entity and putting the two blue check marks. What if it's a group of validated, a distributed network that validates you? So I don't have to go and check with all your employers that you were managing director at such and such. Like how, imagine that level of trust very simplistically happening through a proof of, you know, proof of me concept that validates who you are. If we can get to that, and we definitely can, we're already starting to experiment with things like soulbound tokens, as well as other DID, decentralized ID validators that are coming online. I think this is going to be incredible in terms of cracking that trust problem online, which then would solve a lot of issues around things like catfishing and burner accounts. Totally. We're both living and, and have lived in jurisdictions where we're maybe not that concerned about our identity being somewhat public and especially also with the things we're doing. But if you live in, in more repressive regimes or so, you clearly don't want to necessarily disclose everything that you're doing. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, like every time, you know, in the past, I would speak to some guy in Africa or Russia about crypto. In the back of my mind, I'm not going to lie to you, right, Norbert? Like, I was thinking this guy could be a scam. And it takes a while for me to go, oh, actually, he's not. And then, you know, I open myself up. That inefficiency and the non-productive way of engaging because we're trying to develop trust is really inefficient. There must be a more efficient way now that we have ways to verify wallets, to verify who you are in terms of the activities that you've been doing on chain. And it's not about KYC because, you know, I, I explained this before to someone else because they said, isn't that just KYC? It's not. KYC is I literally go into the bank with my passport, uh, an address proof. They look at my face. They make me sign a physical signature and they're like, you're done. You have an account. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about you can stay as anonymous as you want or you can be verified in terms of you know, I am a part of the Bar Association of Japan, verified. I founded the Bitcoin Association of Japan, verified. You know, these kinds of things. Because that outer layer, as you verify more and more and more, it turns the core into something that you could potentially trust without having to have physical signatures and passports. It's another way of doing a form of KYC, which I would call proof of me. Let's go back to Clayton for a moment, if I may. And so um, in particular, because to some extent, Korean companies, Japanese companies are a bit similar, right? In, in terms of their, their ability to go outside of their the home market and uh, communicate in English and, and, and so on. So clearly Clayton made a decision in hiring you that uh, you'll be a catalyst in doing that, having been dominant in their home market as across many vectors as Kaukau, quite, quite honestly, it's a, it's a behemoth. And so your title just has, has changed, right? From global adoption to head of the global group. So it feels like an expansion of responsibility as well. Just kind of describe a bit how you've seen that journey so far and, and what's coming next on that kind of global expansion. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's not easy working for a Korean corporate or Japanese corporate. 
you know, I was brought in by the vice chairman, the one of the two co-founders of Kakao. So I didn't apply for this job. I was asked to do it. Uh, so when you have a, a rabbi like that behind you, it makes it a little bit easier. But also there's a lot of trust that he puts in me. He knows my track record. He knows what I've done. And he knows I'm kind of doing all this for the right reasons. So I think that's made it a little bit easier. I think, you know, what I've been able to do is prove to Kakao, prove to the Clayton community that putting trust in me and allowing me to lead the organization, we can move this thing in a direction that makes a lot more sense than where they were with Ground X at the time uh, and Jason Hahn. So, you know, and it's it's just a matter of how we how we grow further from here, right? So I've taken it zero to one. Where we go from one to two, it may be me, it may be someone else, but I, I think that's the more interesting part of the journey from zero to one is uh, we, we put that in play. I think we've seen some pretty good traction. Like I always tell people a year ago, no one knew about Clayton outside of Korea, nobody. But now, you know, it's being talked about everywhere around the world and for the right reasons. The most important thing on that comment is we're being talked about for the right reasons, meaning that the strategy that and the narrative that we've been putting out there, people like, because that's what they're talking about. Yeah, and so I came across the Clayton team the first time at DEFCON in Osaka, which was basically three years ago now. And it was like four months, I think, after Clayton had launched. And there weren't that many people listening to the presentation, which I think would be very, very different now. And right, you had also your second Def Day in Singapore in September. You're investing also quite a bit across both the Clayton Foundation and Crust Universe. And so what's the kind of the, the different roles, if, if they are different, across these two entities and the focus that you're pushing through these? Crust is a 100% owned subsidiary for-profit entity of Cacao in Singapore. Clayton Foundation is a Singapore nonprofit that, that has no legal ties to any of those, that has no legal ties to Cacao. So we do all the grant funding out of Clayton, and we do all the uh, for-profit investments out of Crust. That's basically how it's summarized. The Crust's focus is still on the Clayton ecosystem. Ecosystem, correct. And you look at your investment focus right now, which, which clearly has a whatever three or five year view. You see a lot of metaverse, of course, gaming. Yeah. What what are the building blocks that you're putting together there? We are also investing into community infrastructure. We've been putting money into esports teams that are developing guild guild strategies. So there is a an element of community that we invest in. Entertainment is a big focus for us as well. I strongly believe that's the next big sort of explosive moment that we'll see in Web3 uh, after gaming. And, you know, SocialFi is uh, something that we are talking about a lot more. We haven't, we've invested in a few things, but we're not going all in on it just yet. But we are definitely, it's on our radar. We're talking about it and we have invested in a couple of projects. Super. Thank you, David. I think we're out of time. And when is the next time we see you in Japan? This year, I'm going to stop the traveling this year. I've been traveling a lot. Norbert, I need time to spend uh, with my family, who I miss dearly on all these travels. But yeah, probably early next year, I'll be back in Japan. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, David. Take care.